You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. A year after the town of Grand Forks was devastated by spring flooding, provincial and federal governments are stepping in to buy up the most at risk properties. Global's Kimberly Davidson has more on the million dollar measures to help stop future flooding and why not everyone is happy with the deal. We're going to build you an unfloodable town, so come and live here. Come and put your resources into Grand Forks and help us build a better community. Thank you very much. Clapping follows the funding announcement in Grand Forks. Money for much-needed flood restoration following last year's historic flooding event. In general, we're looking at uh, protecting the downtown core. Uh, and part of that is dealing with North Ruckle, which is uh, the, the part that has been recommended to be removed and turned into green space. There are a number of dikes that are going in in different locations. Again, the actual siting and location and engineering for those uh, projects is not all in place. And so there will be an opportunity for public input in terms of how some of these things hit the ground. Millions of dollars for infrastructure work and for buyouts for about 75 families in the North Ruckle area of town, a floodplain now deemed uninhabitable. I'm happy that the town's getting money. I'm happy that it's finally starting to get settled because there's a whole lot of people. They don't know anything. If Muriel Neal sounds skeptical, she is. A blown-up poster of her home is used at the funding announcement as an example of how much restoration work has already been done. Erosion in front of her home repaired, the riverbank shored up and reinforced. But it's future flood mitigation work that could put her home in jeopardy. We are still on the buyout list because uh, one of the original plans had been for there to be a, a dike along the street out there and along there. And oh, they'd allow us to live in here, but then we'd be in a swimming pool if it ever flooded. A buyout from Muriel Neal would also mean her tenant in the house next door would be looking for somewhere else to live. (sighs) Rentals are really hard to come by. Neal says her home wasn't one of the ones badly damaged by the flood, and she doesn't want to lose it to flood mitigation. Nobody's getting me out of here. I've already told them, I says, if you guys are even thinking of getting us out of here, it won't happen. Kimberly Davidson, Global News, Grand Forks. A major rock slide in the Fraser River is raising concerns about returning salmon. The disturbance happened in a narrow portion of the waterway. Jordan Armstrong is live in our newsroom with the details on this and how it could impact salmon migration. Jordan. Chris, it is a remote area, but we have managed to get aerial video and photos from the scene. We'll show you those in just a moment, but first a map to give you a sense of where this is. The closest community is Clinton. The rock slide was spotted yesterday, a few kilometers upstream from the Big Bar Ferry. From the air, you can see the river is still flowing, but it's obviously been disturbed. The slide potentially causing those rapids there. We know the debris came down in the area you're about to see highlighted on your screen. It's on the west side of the Fraser, but exactly how much earth gave way is still under investigation. The Department of Fisheries and Oceans refusing interviews today, but in a statement, they described the slide as significant, adding it may impact returning salmon. DFO engineers have arrived in the area, which has no roads and no cell service. Now, even though the river isn't blocked, I spoke to a professor from Simon Fraser University who says a change in the water velocity could spell bad news 
news for the salmon. Basically, if that part of the river used to be relatively calm and all of a sudden it's become raging rapids, the fish may struggle to get by. The professor adds the majority of the Pacific salmon spawn above the slide area, with August being the peak time. As we've reported, it's forecast to be a bleak year for BC salmon. The DFO has imposed sweeping fishery closures to try and reverse declines in the Chinook population. No doubt fishermen, First Nations and other stakeholders are eager to hear the results of that slide assessment. Hopefully, Chris, we'll know more in the next few days. Back to you. Indeed. Okay, thanks very much, Jordan Armstrong, reporting for us tonight. An evacuation alert for homes near a wildfire burning in Pender Harbor has been lifted. A few dozen firefighters and three helicopters remain on scene. Our Nadia Stewart is live on the Sunshine Coast for us with the latest. Nadia, some relief there tonight, obviously. Yeah, there is a sense of relief here tonight, but folks are not letting their guard down. We're being told that a campfire ban will be in effect in Pender Harbor this weekend. Water trucks load up at the foot of Cecil Hill Road, where a stubborn wildfire is finally showing signs of quieting down. Three helicopters and 47 firefighters are assigned to this site. They've been at it since Monday. Ellie Thompson watched them work tirelessly to protect her home and others. I did worry. Of course you worry. It's your house. It's your life. But I realized that everything was under control. An evacuation alert on Tuesday was cause for concern. But by Wednesday morning, it was rescinded. The wildfire service says conditions are in their favor to get the fire under control. A fire that grew to nine hectares on Tuesday, but was quieter just 24 hours later. Well, it's been challenging for us. Fire is of greater magnitude than we normally encounter, and it's, you know, taxed every resource that we had. Pender Harbor Fire Chief Don Murray credits the BC Wildfire Service for the sense of relief he and others now feel. He says fires here don't usually grow to this size, which is why this one is so concerning. It's been hot and dry here. He says more outdoor fire restrictions are on the way. I have decided partially based on this fire to close campfires on Friday at noon. The hope here is for a break in the forecast. We've had no rain for two months now. now the fire chief expects full compliance with this campfire ban just in time for the Canada Day long weekend. Back to you, Chris. All right, Nadia in Pender Harbor Forest tonight. We'll check on the forecast a little bit later on the news hour. Until then, if you need a reminder about the danger of just tossing that cigarette butt, there have been seven fires in seven days caused by discarded cigarette butts in Langford alone. The fire department now putting up signs where fires have occurred to make people more aware of the problem, and they are urging smokers to please be careful. I find that really disturbing, <laughs> that people would actually throw a cigarette in a dry uh, planter where you can start a fire. It doesn't make any sense. Well, people are going to smoke regardless, so I don't know. They just got to make sure their butts are out and just don't be careless, right? It's super hot. Everything's dry. Like, I smoke, right? You just got to keep them put out, right? To breaking news now, Vancouver police are investigating a suspicious death on the city's south side. Police were called to McIver's Appliance Sales and Service near Ontario Street and East 69th Avenue shortly before 8.30 this morning. When they arrived, they found 78-year-old John Leslie McIver dead at the scene. Homicide detectives 
are now investigating. No arrests have been made, but police are expected to release more information tomorrow morning. All right, also tonight, VPD investigating the city's fifth homicide of the year. Police were called to the area of Maine and East 35th around 9.45 last night for reports of a shooting at an apartment building. When officers entered the building, they discovered a man in his 30s dead of a gunshot wound. A 30-year-old Vancouver man has been arrested in connection with the offense. And transit police have arrested a 33-year-old Vancouver man in connection with an alleged flashing on SkyTrain. The incident happened back in April. The victim says she noticed a man hovering nearby. And when she looked back moments later, he was exposing himself. The suspect was interviewed and let out on a promise to appear with the recommended charge of an indecent act. His first court appearance will be August 22nd. Meantime, a bizarre sight in downtown Vancouver last night. Police say they arrested the driver of a Toyota Camry doing circles at the intersection of Hastings and Maine. Earlier, the vehicle was seen driving into oncoming traffic and towards pedestrians at a bus stop near Granville in Georgia. 37-year-old Harpreet Gill of Surrey was arrested a short time later at Maine near National. Uh, we do believe there was some alcohol and possibly drugs. Uh, also, we're looking into whether or not the man's mental state uh, played a part in this as well. So we're looking at that right now. Uh, but as we speak, uh, he's currently in custody and is facing uh, one charge. It's actually, the actual charge is called dangerous operation of a conveyance. So that's the actual charge. Prices may be dropping in lower mainland real estate, but housing is still by no means a bargain in most parts of Metro Vancouver. In part three of our real estate series, Gimme Shelter, we look at the influx in first-time buyers looking to capitalize on a cooling market. While even the mayor says some should be prepared to rent for life. Here's Sarah McDonald. We know buyer demand and prices are slumping in Metro Vancouver's once red-hot housing market. But will this region really ever be affordable? Affordability means different things to different people. That all depends on how you define it and who you ask. Uh, we're not Manhattan, we're not London for prices, although we flirt with those levels. Which means even though prices have cooled, it's still challenging to break into the market. For prospective first-time buyers like locally born and raised Jordan Mara. Fairly difficult to get into the market here in Vancouver for someone like myself. Now approved for a mortgage, this millennial is joining a larger exodus of buyers in his demographic, hunting outside of the city and the suburbs altogether. In his case, Squamish. I have had luck finding places that would fall into my budget. It's just that they're outside of Vancouver, and that's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. But as is often the case with major cities, many millennials are opting to stay as close as possible to the economic center of it. And more prospective buyers in that demographic, previously priced out of this market, are now jumping in. Realtor Zenon McEachran has seen an uptick in prospective first-time buyers, capitalizing on cooling prices and decreased demand. Bidding wars are very uncommon these days. That's opened up a lot of opportunities for first-time buyers or people who are on the lower end of the market looking to jump up the property ladder. But for so many others, saving enough money for a down payment in the face of rising rental rates is an unattainable goal. I've come to terms with the fact that I'll most likely be renting for the rest of my life. I come from Japan, and there most people are renting. The mayor of Vancouver, a lifelong tenant himself, expects the rental model in other major world-class cities to take hold in this one. 
think it's a fact that Van the city of Vancouver will be more and more a renter city. All global cities kind of go in that direction. Prospective buyers like Mara are moving in a different direction altogether and taking advantage of the luxury of time. I'll be patient with finding that place rather than trying to jump at the first place that um, comes across to me. Seeking greener pastures for the north. Sarah McDonald, Global News. We have seen a lot of clients who have come in who've needed to or have used the equity in their home. Now, though, with the decrease in prices or with prices going down on, on homes, we found that clients are having less access to less equity in their home means that they have to start making changes and they have to start paying off their debts. Right now, though, over the last 50 years, the use of plastics has exploded. Billions of items from houseware to electronics are manufactured every year. But plastics are now a major threat to our environment. And in the first part of a two-part focus on the growing problem, Global's Aaron MacArthur puts his own family's plastic use under the microscope with some eye-opening results. This is what a month's worth of plastic looks like. Milk jugs, yogurt containers, bread bags, all of it collected at my house over the last month. What in this pile is actually recyclable? And what's trash? I would say the vast majority of what you have here is recyclable. And that's really thanks to the system that we have here in British Columbia. If you've got a zipper, then you've got two different kinds of plastic. Dave LeFay from Recycle BC helped sort out my mountain of plastic. We sorted through the hard plastic, the soft plastic, and some things we really couldn't identify. If you put the wrong item in here, you're actually contaminating the load. So when in doubt, throw it out. Plastic has become a dirty word recently. Single-use bans and Filipino garbage have a lot of us thinking about usage. According to marine biologists, the oceans and beaches are choking on the stuff. I've really witnessed firsthand the impacts of plastic pollution on our oceans. And I can tell you that we can beat plastic pollution. An East Vancouver grocery store has taken the next logical step. Nada sells 800-plus items, all of them package-free. The goal to convince people it's not as hard as you might think to refuse to accept items and reduce consumption. In reality, it's how our grandparents used to shop. We're just putting a little bit of a modern spin on things. While Metro Vancouver is nowhere close to reaching its 2020 goals for waste diversion, the region is miles ahead of anywhere else in North America, mostly because facilities to repurpose plastic exist here. Because we're seeing so much media around the world about right. some of the challenges that right, recycling right. is facing, we need British Columbians to know how good the system is here. Some items like plastic bags can't be dealt with curbside and need a special trip to the depot. And once all the sorting was finished, I was left with just a handful of items that had no place to go and then two filmy bits that I didn't clean. So I actually are recyclable, but I screwed up. In BC, all of this material destined to become something else. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. It's being called the Western Standoff. B.C. Premier John Horgan and Alberta Premier Jason Kenney are expected to come face-to-face -face tonight at the Western Premier's Conference, still entrenched on opposite sides of the pipeline debate. Our Richard Zussman is in Edmonton for it tonight. When Premier John Horgan gets off the airplane here in Edmonton on Wednesday, he should expect a frosty reception. 
Alberta Premier Jason Kenney says Albertans are friendly people and they'll give him a big smile and then tell him to get out of the way of the pipeline. There's been an ongoing feud between the two premiers over the Trans Mountain Pipeline and on Thursday they will meet face to face for the first time. We don't need um, Albertans and, and British Columbians uh, uh, going at it in some kind of a, a phony war. We just need a British Columbia government that respects the Canadian Constitution and listens. I, I would just, my pitch to John is very simply, listen to British Columbians. Every poll shows about two to one support of, of British Columbians for this common sense opportunity to create jobs. Horgan downplaying the feud between the two sides, says he's focused on discussing many issues aside from the pipeline during the annual Western Premier's meetings. I'm a Canuck fan going to Euler territory. I'm a Lion fan going to Eskimo territory. But beyond that, I'm expecting uh, uh, positive uh, discussions. Uh, my responsibility uh, on the agenda is to talk about mental health and addictions and what British Columbia is doing. Although the Alberta-BC relationship has dominated the headlines, the meetings will also feature the Premiers from Saskatchewan, Manitoba and the three territories. As for whether Horgan and Kenny will meet face-to-face one-on-one, Kenny says he's not sure yet. Richard Zussman, Global News, Edmonton. And back here on the West Coast, marine biologists are trying to get to the bottom of a mystery off the coast of B.C. Southern resident killer whales, which should have returned from wintering off California by now, still aren't here. As Linda Aylesworth reports, while they're not sure exactly why the whales are late, they do have a theory. There's been no shortage of transient killer whale sightings in southern BC lately. But what about our endangered southern residents, of which only 74 remain? They've usually returned to our waters by now. When they're not here, the first question is, why aren't they? What's wrong? Has something gotten worse here? But their absence may not be because things are worse here. Instead, it could be because things are much better elsewhere. In California, they have the best returns of Chinook that they've seen in over 20 years. Uh, Just unprecedented. And so it's entirely possible they're off the central California coast enjoying a much-needed feast. Thing is, there's much we don't know about the relationship between southern residents and Chinook salmon, or why the whales have been struggling to catch enough of them. It's quite possible that Chinook uh, in in recent years are either much better at avoiding being eaten, or possibly the killer whales are not as good at detecting and finding their main prey. In his quest for answers, Scott Hinch and his team have attached acoustic transmitters to 100 Chinook. And it picks up information on the depth of the fish. And that's what's really important to see whether the depth of the fish is changing in relation to the presence of killer whales. In other words, are the salmon diving to avoid being caught? Andrew Trites will soon be studying the situation from the whale's perspective, using tags that are secured with suction cups. It collects data on light levels. Uh, depth and also we can reconstruct the three-dimensional movements of the whales and we can hear when they catch fish because we're going to hear a crunch. As for whether or not the southern residents are in fact off the coast of California right now? If they are indeed feeding on all the salmon that's coming back they should, should, they should show up this summer looking very healthy or healthier than they have. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. In West Vancouver, a luxury car went from the sales lot to the impound lot in 10 minutes flat. Police say the driver was busted for excessive speeding just 10 minutes after picking up the shiny new McLaren. The vehicle was clocked going 161 kilometers an hour in a 90 zone. 
The supercar was towed and impounded for seven days. The driver, a 39-year-old man from Coquitlam, was handed a $368 ticket. With this nice weather, people want to bring their vehicles out uh, and sometimes you know, tend to be tempted to, to increase those speeds because of false sort of uh, a sense of security around dry roads and, and you know, nice, clear, blue, sunny skies. But the messaging really here is no matter what kind of car you're driving, is that um, you know, high speeds are dangerous no matter any way you look at it. Um, it puts not only the driver of the vehicle at risk, but also everyone around them. The father and daughter captured in heartbreaking photos of the U.S. migrant crisis have been identified. The images, as disturbing as they are to look at, have focused the world's attention on the reality of what's happening at the U.S. southern border. In San Martin, El Salvador, the mother of Oscar Ramirez weeps as she holds her granddaughter Valeria's favorite toys. The bodies of Ramirez and 23-month-old Valeria were found face down in the Rio Grande River, her arm draped around him. Reports say Ramirez crossed the river with his daughter, but when he went back to get his wife, Valeria jumped in the water after him. They were both swept away when he tried to save her. Those pictures bring back awful memories for a B.C. woman whose family was at the center of another gut-wrenching migrant story four years ago. The picture of the lifeless body of two-year-old Alain Curdy focused attention on the European migrant crisis. Grace Key spoke to his aunt, who's made it her mission to make sure the world doesn't forget. And again, the picture at the center of this story is disturbing. How many more images does the world need to see before they say enough? For Tima Curdy, the lifeless photo of a father and daughter along the banks of the Rio Grande is a painful reminder of the heart-wrenching image of her three-year-old nephew, Alan. His body lay on a beach in Turkey in a failed attempt to reach Greece. Every image have their own painful story. Mm-hmm. And we need to, to look at it. When this image was taken, the Syrian war was already in its fourth year and had killed more than 200,000 people. But it was this photo that marked a turning point around the world in the refugee crisis. Open the door, bring in refugee, give them the life is great. But nobody really took that image and say, we need to find a solution. Now this photo, taken during the heart of a bitter debate in the United States over its southern border immigration policies. How could President Trump look at this picture and not understand that these are human beings fleeing violence and persecution? It's triggered reaction from U.S. lawmakers and led to demonstrations across the country at migrant detention centers. We need to take action. We need to stand up from our silence and speak up mm-hmm. and put ourselves in their situation, understand them, hear them. Time will tell if this photo will have an effect on the political debate now dividing the United States. Grace Key, Global News. And now an international whodunit that could affect a half billion dollars worth of Canadian food exports to China. And Canadian farmers need to have the mystery solved in a hurry. Global's David Aiken has the details. Ten days ago, China said a shipment of pork alleged to have come from Canada arrived on their shores containing trace elements of ractopamine. 
That's a chemical added to the feed of pork, cattle, and turkeys that gives the animals more muscle and less fat. But while ractopamine is legal in Canada, it is banned in 160 other countries, including the European Union and China. China wanted to know how a banned additive got into some Canadian pork, and so it asked the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, or CFIA, to investigate. The CFIA did just that and found fake veterinary certificates on some of the shipments in question. The CFIA called in the RCMP and then told the Chinese what it had found. The Chinese claimed the CFIA had found evidence of what it called a safety loophole in Canada's food system and called for the ban on all meat products, pork and beef, from Canada, a move quickly denounced as an overreaction. This is uh, unconscionable. We, we want reliable, honorable trading partners, uh, and that's not what this represents. Uh, this represents something uh, very different. It's intimidation. And so far as the Canadian government is concerned, it is not yet clear that that pork that ended up in China containing ractopamine with the forged veterinary papers even came from Canada. Someone's going to have to come up with some proof that there's something wrong with the product uh, and, uh, and that the product originates from Canada. We don't know where the project originated. But Canadian government officials cannot say when they expect to have answers that will satisfy the Chinese. And while federal officials acknowledge this will cause some financial pain for the Canadian industry, they say it's too early to talk about any compensation for Canadian beef and pork producers. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. Caught on video, a terrifying crash at a Quebec ferry terminal. As the ferry pulls away from Tadoussac, just out or just north of Quebec City, an RV careens down the hill, hits the ramp, and sails over the water crashing down on the ferry. Passengers managed to scramble out of the way, but the 40-year-old driver of the RV died, and the 40-year-old female passenger is in critical condition. Investigators say the vehicle likely had some kind of mechanical problem. In health matters tonight, the B.C. government has announced a new program to assist people with mental health and addiction challenges. Premier John Horgan and Mental Health and Addictions Minister Judy Darcy have unveiled a 10-year plan focusing on children, youth and young adults. The program will allow for early intervention in schools and give them the tools to deal with the stigma of mental health and addiction. So the roadmap that we're laying out today, the pathway to hope, is our 10-year plan to ensure that we integrate fully mental health and addiction strategies right across our government. And again, this is about fighting stigma, it's about expanding services for people, and making sure that all British Columbians, to the best of our ability, can live in a state of physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being as they go about their business in our great province. And Ottawa is putting several million dollars into HIV-AIDS research in B.C. Vancouver MP Hetty Fry today announcing just under $23 million for research and support. The money will continue the work of the Canadian HIV Trials Network, which supports researchers, people living with HIV, their caregivers and health advocates. And as part of the Canadian Trials Network, Dr. Murray is going to be the principal investigator on a clinical trial that's investigating whether women and girls living with HIV have an increased risk of hormonal, metabolic, and reproductive abnormality, and this whether this correlates to aging at a cellular level. 
Well, that's got to feel good. Residents and tourists alike are dealing with a heat wave sweeping through many parts of Europe. A plume of hot, dry air from Africa is expected to force temperatures up to more than 40 degrees. Paris has banned the most polluting cars from its streets, and doctors are warning people with asthma and lung and cardiovascular conditions about the effects of hot weather. Everybody's got to be on their guard there for sure. And after the forecast, the story behind this unusual traffic stop in Florida. It's very cute. And let's check in with Christy now because uh, I know that storm that's moving in might have hit some of the regions that we were waiting for about 15 minutes ago. So a bit of that's a problem right. here. Yeah, so we've had some reports from the Agassiz area that they're having uh, an incredible hail as well as loud thunder in through that area and rain. Uh, it's just north of the Agassiz region right through there. The good news is, Chris, just in the last, say, 10, 15 minutes, these thunderstorm cells have broken up quite a bit. They're not as severe, so that's good news. Although the warning remains in place because we still have the thunderstorms in the area and we're still tracking this one, this more major one, which is headed towards the Chilliwack and that will move across that region in the next 10 minutes. So you're likely seeing the rain develop right now and you'll start to hear the thunder and you'll see the lightning in not too long. But that's what we're tracking. The other thing is, is that these thunderstorms, despite the fact that they're weakening, they have the potential of moving into East Metro Vancouver. So as we head into the evening hours, we'll likely see at least some showers as those thunderstorms start to weaken. If not, you may see some thunderstorms. It's been an active day right across the province. We still have a severe thunderstorm warning in place for the BC Peace River area, both north and south. And we have watches in place for the west and inland parts of Vancouver Island, as well as the Fraser Canyon, the Nicola and Similkamine regions as well. Now, after that, what we're talking about is rainfall and potentially the most significant rain event since April for our region. Heavier rain expected right across the lower mainland tomorrow morning in the afternoon. It eases off to just a chance of showers and we'll see those showers right across the region. But the potential is there for anywhere from 15 to 30 millimeters of rain in that time period. There's your forecast for tomorrow. Showers, a risk of thunderstorms, temperatures way below seasonal, 17 for Vancouver. Again, the heaviest rain in the morning, easing off to just a chance of showers in the afternoon. Your long weekend still looking nice, and I'll just leave you with this cute little shot. Thanks to Dunk Malcolm in Victoria. You look peekaboo. <laughs> little rascal. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Uh, good to know some rain's on the way. A routine traffic stop in Florida is getting a lot of attention online. Orlando police officer Alex Kipp spots a 10-month-old toddler riding her stroller car against traffic. He pulls her over, and her reaction is pretty priceless. Oh, God. License, registration, proof of insurance, please. You don't have a driver's license. I don't believe this is a laughing matter, <laughs> There's actually a pretty good reason for Talon's bemused reaction. Officer Kip is her father, and he let her go with a warning, of course. But next time, watch out. Bongo literally hanging up the goalie pads <laughs> on Twitter today. Gotta check good. that out. It was it's well. He always had a sense of humor. That's the one yeah. thing Roberto Luongo always had. Uh, okay, so he announces retirement from hockey today at the age of 40. Luongo no longer is able to overcome all the aches and the pains, especially in his hip. Those aches and pains that come with playing 1,114 NHL games, including playoffs. 
He leaves the game as a possible Hall of Famer. Possible because he never won the Stanley Cup or the Vezina as top goalie, but he was close. And even though he retired as a Florida Panther, the impact of his retirement is actually felt more in Vancouver at the Canucks head offices because of the complicated salary cap rules. The Canucks will now have Luongo on their books for three more years. That means less money for the Canucks to spend on players who are not retired. Uh, my contract sucks. And it still does, actually. The contract they gave Luongo in 2009 was 12 years long. Most of the money was paid in the first few years, but the last bargaining agreement between the players and owners put in a clause that now penalizes such a deal. So, for the next three years, Luongo counts against the Vancouver Canucks salary cap in a big way. In fact, right now, he's the 10th highest paid player on the team. And because of that, Jim Benning has only about $15.5 million to spend this summer instead of almost $19 million. And they have to give a new contract to Brock Besser. That means at least $5 million a year goes to him, if not more. So getting free agents into Vancouver is going to take a little more creativity this summer. That aside, the retirement of Luongo brings to an end a career of one of the better net miners in the 21st century. Nobody regrets the Canucks trading for Luongo in June of 2006. He is the all-time leader in team wins and shutouts. He nearly led Vancouver to a Stanley Cup victory in 2011. He was not a prima donna, despite being given every opportunity to be one. He was a team guy. And depending on who you talk to in Canuck Nation, he's either the greatest Canuck goalie ever or a close second to Kurt McLean. Whatever the case, his name lives on with the Canucks in more ways than one. All right, Mark DeSantis and the Whitecaps are in Dallas. Speaking of goalies, Jesse Gonzalez makes a very nice save here for FC Dallas. Right there on Freddie Montero. That is a chance he got to bury. This has been a problem for the Whitecaps this year. Good chances are not going in, and that's the guy you want to have that chance. Montero, but it's still scoreless late in the first half. I want to show you this goal from tonight. Watch Wayne Rooney. DC United against Orlando. <laughs> Where's the keeper? Little too far out for Rooney. He just takes one look and figures, I can score from here. I don't even need to run that far. That is brilliant from Wayne Rooney. Ladner's James Paxton, who of course no-hit the Blue Jays as a Seattle Mariner, now a Yankee. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., two men on, three-run home. Field deep, unbelievable. He has and then Danny Jensen rocks Paxton and the Bronx with a two-run shot. It's 5 nothing Blue Jays. However, the home team starts coming back. Aaron Judge. This isn't a home run from Judge, but it does score two. That would make it 5-3 in the second. They go to the bottom of the ninth, tied 7-7. Gleyber Torres, that off the handle of the bat, scores Didi Gregorius, and the Yankees win it by the score of 8-7. Kevin Durant has decided not to pick up his option with the Golden State Warriors. That means he can become a free agent with the New York Knicks and Brooklyn Nets most interested in him. Even though he likely won't play all of next season, because of that Achilles injury he suffered against the Raptors in the finals, 
He is still wanted by those two teams. That is how great he is because they'll wait for him and then the next year he'll be good to go. There you are. He hopes. Yeah, well, you think it'll, it'll you probably be back. at least a season, but after yeah. that, yeah. Wish, wishing him the best in recovery, of course. Coming up on ET Canada, family life with Alanis Morissette and is Robert Pattinson the new James Bond. Plus, we're in Vancouver with Jacob Tremblay for his R-rated comedy, Good Boys. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris. All right, Carlos, thanks very much. So on this day in 1969, a 16-year-old boy disappeared in Kimberley, leading to a massive search in that community. The case is still unsolved, and all these years later, the lead investigator is finally speaking out in the hopes that someone will come forward and finally provide some answers. Here's Catherine Urquhart. I still think there's another side to this, and somebody knows something out there. Five decades later, retired Staff Sergeant Fred Bodnaruk remains haunted by the disappearance of a young boy. He was based at the RCMP's Kimberley Detachment when 16-year-old Philip Porter vanished. How much does this case weigh on you 50 years later? Almost as intensely as it was from the beginning. I've revisited the file Oh, numerous times. It was June 26, 1969. The mentally disabled teen left the family home in Kimberley to run an errand for his mother and never returned. A massive search followed. Divers checked local waterways. Mine shafts were scoured. I remember when he went missing. It was a very, very sad day for Kimberly. It was a bad feeling, and the whole town rallied up and went out and tried to find him. The schools were involved. It was, it was huge. A ransom phone call followed, then a note. Philip's father, who ran Kaminko Mine at the time, played along, allowing Mounties to make an arrest. Earl Bennett, a disgruntled Kaminko employee, was convicted of extortion. But there was no body. He was a welder with Kaminko, and uh, he was turned down as a position to be a welding foreman. And, they, and that didn't sit well with him. Bennett passed a polygraph, yet remained a person of interest until his death in 1974. Fred Bodnaruk, who solved dozens of murders while running the RCMP's homicide section, isn't certain what happened. Fifty years later, he's still hoping someone will come forward so the case can be solved. Uh, well, we're not going to give up. We're just going to keep going. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, let's hope somebody, somebody out there knows something and contacts mm -hmm. the RCMP. Uh, okay, so some storms, major storms rolled through the area. Big mm -hmm. hail, lots of lightnings. Calm down now, has it? Yeah, we'd love it if someone would send us some photos. Uh, maybe we'll show them tomorrow. But there's the thunderstorms weakening significantly. We're no longer getting those big bullseyes that you would see on a radar under a very uh, strong storm. Nonetheless, yeah, intense rain you can expect, gusty winds, and certainly lightning and thunder. So if you hear thunder... Head, what, what is this? Go indoors. Mm -hmm. When thunder roars, go indoors. That's what it is. That's a good one. <laughs> All right, thanks for watching, folks. Have a good night. Don't get thunderstruck. <laughs> <laughs>